has not news to any of us that the world we live in right now is in an uproar. There's just a lot of things going on. Humanity is afflicted by many, many problems. And there is a level of concern and worry and fear like, well, I can't really think of a time in my lifespan that it was so. Events such as this worldwide pandemic, goodness gracious, we even had an earthquake last Sunday morning. I, I fell at 8 o'clock in my office upstairs last Sunday morning. We recently had a hurricane. There, uh, hurricanes are not uh, that unusual, but earthquakes a uh, little so. Not had one that powerful for around 100 years or so here in North Carolina. Then we got civil unrest across our nation. Over and over again in various cities, in numbers of cities. Night in, night out. Protests turned into unlawful looting, stealing. Then we have the whole economic impact of, well, all the above. The recession we entered into a few months ago is now feared uh, as a possible economic collapse going forward. People are worried. Even people in high places are worried. Did you catch the news from Warren Buffett this week? The longtime uh, famous investor, the head of Berkshire Hathaway, his company just bought over 20 million shares of Barrick Gold Corporation. Now, say what's unusual about that? Because Warren Buffett has been highly critical of those who would purchase gold and silver bullion and uh, put their money in mining shares for the last 30 years. Literally making fun of those who did. And now look what he's doing. People in general are trying to make sense of all that's happening in the world and trying to determine what they should do about it. Even, even unbelievers. Now we as God's people, we, we have a lens through which we look at things and that is the scripture. So we can see all the problems, but yet we see them through the lens of Scripture and the promises of God. The unbelievers don't have that. And it may well be God's way of opening up their eyes if they would allow Him to do that. I saw a commercial yesterday on TV inviting people to call in on the... Uh, well, that's not an 800 number, 900 number, whatever it is. A dollar per minute to talk to a psychic. CaliforniaPsychics.com. If I was going to talk to a psychic, I don't think I would talk to one in California, but uh, I'm not going to talk to any of them. 
I did a little checking online because I didn't remember uh, seeing a commercial like that till I think maybe back around the turn of the century with 2001 and all that. Reminded me that even people that do not believe in the Bible are looking for someone to give them some ideas, some answers. Now, all that goes with that you know, tarot cards and reading of palms and mediums and numerology and astrology, all that's condemned in the Bible. That is satanic or at its worst, and uh, it's a hoax many times at its best. But people that reject God are searching for answers. They want to know what to do. And they're searching for those answers in the wrong place. Why, why do people turn to such things as psychics instead of the Word of God? Why does society in general accept that as normal, but condemn us for worshiping the Savior and serving Him, worshiping Him? Why? It's because the world is hostile toward Christianity. The world, the world is hostile towards God, Christ, the church, Christianity, any and all things connected with it. And there's where Psalm 2 comes into the picture for us. You see, we, we tend to think that this hostility worldwide toward Christianity is something new. No, 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 no. Not anything new. Been this way for a long, long time, as we're going to learn before we're finished this morning. It's just that we have been privileged and blessed by God to live through an age here in America where We didn't experience that. And praise God for the blessings He has given us, but those days are running out. God's judgment is going to fall on this world. It seems perhaps sooner rather than later. And God has taken His hand off of the world in many ways. He he has said, all right, just go your way. Indulge yourself in your sins. Read Romans 1. That's what he's doing. And we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. But Psalm 2 seems very familiar in terms of the message. It seems as up to date as today. When David asks in verse 1, why do the nations rage? Now the nations here, as it's translated, could, could easily be translated people. Why do the people rage? And by nations, he's indicating here the uh, Gentile nations, as opposed to Israel in that day. So he's really talking about unsaved humanity. 
Why is, why is it that unsaved humanity is in an uproar? The word rage here in the English means to be in an uproar, to be in a noisy assembly where there's chaos. You may well be familiar with the old King James translation here. Why do the heathen roar? We don't use that word heathen much anymore. It just means unbeliever. Non, non-Jewish believer. And when David wrote, uh, any unbeliever in today's world. Why do the unsaved people of the world, why, why are they in such an rage, such an uproar? And the people plot a vain thing. Why, why? Why do they plot empty, vain things? It's not going to do them any good. Why do they perpetrate and plan these things? By the way, interestingly, the Hebrew word translated plot in Psalm 2 verse 1 is the same root word translated meditate in Psalm 1 verse 2. So what David is saying is this, why do the people raise in an uproar and why do they do nothing but just meditate on how they do evil? They just, they just let it, their hatred and their love of evil consume them continually. It's the only thing on their mind. But Psalm 2 helps us understand the world's hatred of God and of us. Psalm 2 will help us as well keep a proper perspective on what's going on in the world today, just as it did in David's day. And Psalm 2 also offers us hope in the midst of everything. So this is a very important psalm written 3,000 or so years ago. This is up to date as today's news. And the message here revolves around, the answer to all of this revolves around the fact that this is a royal psalm. A royal psalm points us to the coming Lord, the Messiah who's coming back to right all wrongs and reign over this earth with righteousness and with a rod of iron. We looked at the wisdom psalm last week. How should we live? What? How should we function? What should we do day by day to be righteous people? Live the kind of lives we should live as believers. Now we move on to a royal psalm, and we see the difficulty, the struggle we have around us and affecting us, which makes it at times difficult to do what we learned last week. But the message of Psalm 2 is simply this. The world is hostile toward God and all that pertains to God. I did not say the world was hostile toward religion. The world's not hostile toward religion. There's plenty of religion in the world that the world will be just happy with. 
The Antichrist in the days to come, in the last days, will be a religious man. And he will bring together religions from around the world to fall at his feet and worship him. The false Christ. The world will embrace religion, but it will always be hostile toward God. And toward the true Christ. And the only one and true way. And there is only one. You know, if there wasn't, if it wasn't true that there was only one way to heaven, I would throw the whole Bible out the window. If there's more than one way, then somehow it depends on us and we're helpless. But it doesn't depend on us. There is one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. It's by faith in him. We are the only religion, if you want to call it that, the only religion worldwide that says, no, it's not by works. It's not by man's effort. It's not by whatever you think, whatever you feel, or, or, or everybody on his own, or everybody to his own. No, it is this. Faith in the Savior who shed his blood to pay the price of our sins. Is the only way. And the world stands over here and the one way over here. The two are opposed. Now, in order to get at the meaning and the understanding we need to draw out of Psalm 2, I want to pose three questions. And you have them there in your notes on the back of your bulletin, except for the first word. Three questions we want to address here so that we can understand why the world is hostile and, and so on. And that indeed is our first question. Why is the world hostile? Why is the world hostile toward God? That's the question David begins with in verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Why are they in an uproar? Why are they unhappy? And, and why do they plot a vain thing? Why do they forever focus their hearts and minds on evil and that which is opposed to God? And then he describes what he just alluded to. He asks a question, but he doesn't answer the question immediately. The first thing he does after asking the question is explain what it is that's going on, this hostility. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves. Now, in the Hebrew, that verb is very intense. It's an intensive verb. It means they they are dead set. They are absolutely firm and committed and set in their hearts and minds against God. It's not, well, you know, you know, I don't believe in God to do whatever. No, they are dead set against him and against everyone who trusts in him. They are of their father, the devil, until they, and hopefully they will come to Christ, some of them. But otherwise, they, their foolish minds are darkened. And the kings of the earth have set themselves. 
and the rulers take counsel together. They don't take counsel from the Word of God. No, they don't believe that. They don't take counsel from God. They don't believe in Him. They don't take counsel from any of the wisdom we have in the Word of God. No. The only wisdom, the only counsel, the, the only thing they can do is gather together in their vanity and plot vain things that will go nowhere. Oh, maybe they'll go a little ways in the present moment, but they'll go nowhere ultimately. And the rulers take counsel together, he says, against the Lord and against his anointed. Here is the description. The world is hostile to God against the Lord, Yahweh, against God the Father, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. Now, as David writes this, David is the Lord's anointed to be king in Israel. But the psalm here is prophetic and looks far beyond David and looks upon the house of David many years hence to the Messiah, the anointed, the son of David. Against the Lord and against the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the description. There's what they do. They congregate together. They, they bring their empty plans, their futile efforts, and they pat each other on the back. They tell each other how wise they are. They make their plans which are full of nothing but evil, and then they proceed to follow their own plans totally rejecting God. Now, after he explains how it is they operate, he now tells us why it is he gets to the root of the problem. Why are they like this? Look at it with me. Verse 3. He says, here's what's on their lips. Here's what's in their minds. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Whose bonds and whose cords? God's bonds. God's cords. God's authority. The reason they are hostile toward God is they want to be their own authority. They want to be, in, in their eyes, their own God. They see any constraints put upon them by God and God's Word, or by those who believe it and preach it, they see anything that constrains them to do what's right as being chains that bind them. And they want to be free. They want to be free to do what they want to do. They want to be free to do whatever they want to do without any moral constraints whatsoever, without any God-imposed commandments. Now, the problem here is that's not freedom. And the reason it's not freedom is because when, when Adam chose 
So many, many, many years ago, to partake of the forbidden fruit, he plunged the race into sin. And every man and woman that's ever been born in this world hence has been born a sinner. I was born that way, you was born that way. Now, only by the grace of God have we been born again, those of us that are believers in Christ. So we've been transformed. We're a new creation. But we once were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 And when you are captive to your own evil imagination, when you are subservient to your own lust, you are not free. There is no freedom. There is no freedom whatsoever in doing whatever you want to do without any constraint because inside of you is an evil that lurks that will always steer you in the wrong direction and destroy your life. And bring you nothing but misery in the end and finally judgment forever. <clears throat> and that is not freedom. The only freedom there is, is in Jesus Christ. We are free through Jesus Christ to become what he meant for us to be in the beginning. We are free through faith in Jesus. We are free through the fact that we've been born again and indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are free to choose what we want to do. Yes. But the Spirit of God inside of us and a desire to serve God and live for Him. True freedom. Free from our own sin nature. Free, at least ultimately, we still struggle with it until the Lord takes us to be with him. But we also have the spirit, which is greater. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In that there is freedom. But the world is hostile. There is such a divide between the two. Those that are of their father, the devil, and those that are of the Son. We just haven't tasted it here. Just, just for the sake of trying to get our minds around where we're at in this world. <clears throat> Here's a news article from just a little over a year ago. It is uh, taken from theguardian.com. This particular article uh, in here by a man by the name of Patrick Wintour. He writes, excuse me, let me get that right. He writes, pervasive persecution of Christians is ongoing in parts of the Middle East and has prompted an exodus in the past two decades, according to a report commissioned by the British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt. Millions 
Look at this. Millions of Christians in the region have been uprooted from their homes, and many have been killed, kidnapped, imprisoned, and decimated against. The report finds. It also highlights the decimation across Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and East Asia. What's common to all of that? What's common to the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and East Asia? Islam. Islam is Satan's tool to bring about this persecution. And do not swallow the world's propaganda that Islam is a peaceful religion. They are not. Not those that really believe in what Muhammad taught. It also highlights, he said, the decimation across Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and East Asia. Often, listen to this, this is, this is chilling. Often driven by state authoritarianism. That ring any bells? What is it that so many anarchists in this country that are causing so much violence and destruction of property, what is it they want? They want state authoritarianism of their own kind, of course. The article goes on and says, The inconvenient truth, the report finds, is that the overwhelming majority, 80%, the overwhelming majority of persecuted people that this report looks at, in those countries we just mentioned, those 80% were Christians that were persecuted. Why is the world hostile? Well, we've given you the answer and we've given you uh, the explanation. <clears throat> and now we've shown you the result. So let's move on to question number two. When will God respond? When will God respond to this hostility? You know, the fact that God doesn't snuff out all of this at this very moment or why he didn't last year or the year before or 20 years ago or 100 years ago the why the why that he hasn't done that is his grace his love his patience which goes far far beyond ours when will he respond well now, after I just said that, you're going to be surprised at the answer, perhaps. The situation is this. He already has responded. Not completely, but he already has very firmly responded. Look with me now at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now I want to say this, and it may be a little hard for us, for you to get a handle on this, but the two shalls in verse four are inserted by the translator, and it translates an imperfect Hebrew verb, 
which simply means an imperfect verb in the Hebrew is only partially equivalent to a present tense in English. It just simply means that the action is not completed. So really what verse 4 is saying is this is God's reaction. This is his response right now. And not only right now, but ever since there's been that evil hostility. And God's response is that he mocks at their vain efforts to oppose him. He he laughs at them. Can you imagine if God Almighty, the creator of heaven and the earth, and he's, he's looking down on this mess and he's saying, this is ridiculous. This is, this is, wait, it, it, it's literally funny to think that my creation believes they can rebel against me. It's, it's seriously ridiculous. So there's that emotional response by God. But then, he is promised eventual judgment. Look at verse 5. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now that's obviously yet in the future, and the shall here is rightly added to the verb. Because judgment hasn't fallen yet. But judgment will come. The final judgment of God, when all unbelievers of all ages stand before that great white throne. Revelation chapter 20. It's on the calendar. No, we're not there yet, but God's got it on his calendar. Do you understand that? It's like when you were a kid and you were, you were somewhere with your parents and you were supposed to behave yourself, but you didn't. And when it was all over and after many reprimands, you, you go by and you get back in a car and dad looks at you and says, when we get home, <laughs> when we get home, that's what God's doing done here. It's on his calendar. And when the time comes, It only appears they're getting away with it now. And then he has prepared a king to rule over this world and straighten the mess out. Verse 6, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Now, this is a perfect verb in its tense in the Hebrew language. It means God's already done it. It's over. Finished. Determined. Settled. You know, there is not a king that's one day going to be appointed. There's a king that's already been appointed. There's not coming a day when when Jesus Christ will be coronated and recognized. It's already been demonstrated. He's just waiting for the moment. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. It's as if in God's mind, it's so sure as if it's already happened. I have set my king on my holy hill 
of Zion. That's Jerusalem. And, verse 7, and this in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, we see that word begotten, we think of the birth of Christ, probably the first thing that comes to our mind, but that's not what it's referring to. I want you to turn with me or just look on the screen. I think we have the slide prepared. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Now, talking about the resurrection. He has raised Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was his coronation, if you will. The recognition of this is the Messiah. This is the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. When he came out of that grave and defeated death, there's no other enemy that can possibly hope to stand against him. And because he is alive and well and set it down at the right hand of God the Father, the resurrected God-man, the son of Mary and yet the incarnate deity, God the second person, because he came out of that grave, we'll come out of that grave if we happen to go there before he comes back. And if... We, by God's grace, are here. When he comes back, we'll be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Messiah in person. His worldwide kingdom is on the horizon. I don't know when, but it's on the horizon. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but it's on the horizon. I don't know the moment, but it's on the horizon. And God wants us to be looking for it every day. And my friends, as this world deteriorates and falls apart around us, more and more we say, even so come Lord Jesus. Now let's go to question number three. We've talked about the why in regard to the world's hostility. We've talked about the when. When will God respond to the world's hostility? But there's one final question we have to answer here, and it's right here for us in Psalm 2. You may not even thought about it yet in relation to this, but the question is this. What is our responsibility? What is our responsibility? Well, the first thing that David notes is that we need to do what's right. Look at verse 10. By the way, I just should have read verses 7 and 8, which talks about the kingdom. When Jesus does arise, when that day that's on the horizon does come about, uh, he will receive the nations as his inheritance, verse 8. And he'll break them, that is, 
all evil will be righted. He will break them with a rod of iron. He will judge them. They will be dashed to pieces as a potter's vessel. But now in verse come to this third question. What is our responsibility? Number one, we need to do what's right. Look at verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Now, as we pointed out last week, wisdom in the Scripture is all about doing what's right. It's never, it's never wise to do what's wrong. Be wise and do what's wrong. You can only be wise, wise and do what's right. Wisdom in God's Word is more than being intelligent or a savvy or... You know, it's about being what we ought to be based on what God's told us we ought to be. That's wisdom. So every day we get up, the first thing that should be on our mind is we should do what's right. Now, that's so basic, we don't need to preach about it, but yet it's a dag going hard for us to do. We ought to preach about it for the next hour and a half. I have more trouble doing what's right, doggone it, than I feel like I should. But I, I, I just, we all struggle. We all have those, those particular areas in our life where that's true. And I try to, I try to practice this thing when I, when I feel like I'm thinking wrong or going to say something wrong that I say, Lord, help me. And I keep it to myself, and then I think, what's the right response? And, and you know what? I can do that every now and then. <laughs> it's, it's other times, I, you know, I don't do it that afflict me. Look, we're not going to change this world. God's going to change the world. And he's going to use us to change People are in a little individual part of the world, and those we can influence and help and assist and witness to, yes, but not any one of us and not even all of us together is going to completely change this world. Only God will do, be able to do that. So, let's just be concerned about us doing what's right. So many people get so righteous indignant about all the things that are wrong in this world. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but at some point, at some point, that will drive us crazy. We've just got to worry about doing That's what David's advising here. Then number two, he says, serve the Lord. Look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Hey, do what's right. Do what he tells you. Be obedient. And be committed to serve Him. Whatever He tells you to do, wherever He sends you, whatever your role is in the body of Christ, whatever your gifts are, whatever your ministry is, we all have some kind of ministry. We all have a spiritual gift. We have a place that, that we function in the body of Christ. Focus on your service. And we even get that messed up so often because, see, we're serving Jesus, not people. 
But yet we serve Jesus by serving people. It's so easy to get discouraged with people because, well, I did this and I did this and I tried this and then you know, nobody paid any attention to me. And they, they still, you know, went the wrong way or they don't like me or blah, 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 blah. No. You're serving Jesus Christ. And what people think of you and how people treat you and whether or not they listen to you, pay you any mind at all, is irrelevant to the fact that you're serving Jesus Christ. So do what's right. <clears throat> Serve the Lord. Then, number three, submit to human authority when you can. Look at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. David here is addressing the unsaved of the world. Now, we're not going to receive his wrath. But yet, we too, as he talks to the world in general, fall into these categories. The world should come to Christ in faith. It should do what's right, serve the Lord with fear. We have already made that decision. We're to serve him in fear. And then it says, kiss the son. Now, in the ancient times of the Old Testament, to kiss a king indicated you were submissive to his position, his authority, and his rule. And to refuse to kiss the king, and I'm sure there were other ways it could be expressed, but this was one way. And there's a few, several references in the Old Testament where you can see it in the historical books. But it's, it's talking about understanding God has placed authority there to be submitted to. Now, we're even told to pay our taxes and submit to the king and, and, and all that, Romans 13, 1. But then again in Acts chapter 4, when the authorities told Peter and John, don't preach the resurrection Lord anymore, they said, well, we can only do what God told us to do, not you. So there's always a limit when we say be submissive to those in authority, there's a limit. John MacArthur and his church in, in California, uh, they at first shut down their services. They did everything online, same thing we did here. After a while, they said, you know, we're going to have in-person services. And so they did. And then the county came along and the county said, you can't sing. If you meet in church, you can't do any singing. They they drew the line. They said, that's, that we're going to draw the line there. That's not your prerogative to tell us that. Constitutionally, here in the United States, it's not. Even if we didn't have the Constitution to protect it, it still would not be the case because God's the ultimate authority over that. And uh, then that, if that wasn't enough, the county came back and said, you need to just, just shut everything back down. No more in life. They said, we can, we're not going to do that. It was our choice to, to shut down in the beginning because we cared about people. We wanted to do the right thing. But now we look at it a little differently. We don't th- feel like there's a reason for that. Why? Because God's our authority. There's always a limit, you see. 
Submit to human authority when you can. By the way, a judge just ruled that MacArthur and his church could meet and sing all they wanted until the, the suit they brought against the county at least comes on the docket or whatever you call that in September. And so the, the judge asked them to just wear face masks and try to socially distance. And they could have said no, but they said, all right, well, we feel like that's reasonable. We'll, we'll do that. If that just, just, you know, they're trying to bend over backwards to submit to authority when it's reasonable. But there's a line you draw. And there's always a line to draw for those of us that believe in Christ because we live in a hostile world. Then one final thing. Do what's right, serve the Lord, submit to human authority when you can. Number four, live expectantly. Live expectantly. The latter part of verse 12, blessed are those who put their trust in him. The verb here indicates an ongoing, uncompleted action. A continual trust in God. Ultimately, because his final resolution is on the horizon, ultimately we'll be, we'll be blessed. We need to live expectantly and understand. We may have some, some stress. We may have some hostility. We may even have some persecution in this world. But we always have hope. We always have God's promises. So keep our responsibilities before us. I want to just close this way. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, Jesus comes to visit with Mary and Martha. Now it happened as they went, he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted, verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. (laughs) Typical sister thing, right? And the truth of the matter is, Probably any of you women here would have done that. And Martha seems to be right in her assessment. But Martha Martha was distracted, it says, with her serving. Jesus answered, verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Church of Jesus Christ today, we're worried and troubled about many things, aren't we? We've got a lot of things to worry about. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Well, what's that? Well, you got to go back to verse 39, where it says she sat, at Jesus' feet and heard his word. There's a lot of things that we could be worried about. There's a lot of things in this world to trouble us. But you know, in a way, 
we have been granted time that we don't normally have. Working from home, not having to travel. Don't have to take the kids to school. There's, there's so many ways where there's extra time on our hands. And God's granted us a gift to set at his feet a little bit. And partake of his word. Commune with him and worship him. That's what we ought to be concerned about. That's our ultimate responsibility, you see. Kind of illustrates everything that David said here in verses 10 to 12. 